August 18th is a ladies' night of fellowship. And then this morning is going to be the last uh, time we're going to have the lost and found out there on the picnic table. So listen, if, if you lost it, you need to go find it because it's about to be lost. That whole pile is going to be taken elsewhere. So get out there and look through that. And uh, it looked like we didn't even make a dent in it last week. So, you know, maybe you're like, I don't, if it's there, I don't want it. But uh, just want to make that announcement and so forth. And uh, let's get into the word of God this morning. And so, uh, again, we're coming to the end of Paul's letter to those at Thessalonica. Um, as we close it out, we'll, we'll touch briefly on a few of the, the main points that we looked at uh, in the epistle. But more so, we're going to see two wonderful things that Paul often points us to and leaves us with as the Holy Spirit moved upon him to write these epistles. And that's grace and peace, or peace and grace. And first of all, we're going to see, and this is glorious, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is our peace. We're talking about peace, how peace was taken, how peace has been made available. We're going to talk about how there's so many people running around trying to, to find peace and things other than the Lord himself. And how oftentimes people hang their hat on a false peace. And uh, we need to make sure that we're not doing that. We're going to talk about, again, that positional peace that we have with him and why at times we forfeit uh, peace that's available to us always and in everything as Paul prays that for them in the epistle so hopefully we'll get some instruction and encouragement uh, in those matters we'll also talk about grace and we'll consider the fact that again you know what the the grace absolutely is is a doctrine in scripture but really grace is the Lord himself he is our grace uh, you know talk about we're saved by grace through faith faith in what faith in Jesus and the grace he's afforded to us. And so well, we're close talking about that as well as Paul talking about, uh, you know, at his signature on this epistle and his authority in that as an apostle. And how, again, there were voices there that didn't have that authority. And we're not pinning the scriptures in line with the Holy Spirit and others taking scriptures out of context and twisting them and making just a few applications, you know, to uh, this day we're living in and and our own lives of that as well. So let's read 16 through 18 and dive into this. And Lord willing, we'll finish our study here in 2 Thessalonians as well this morning. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now again, Listen, in verse 16, we see the word peace a couple times mentioned here. Peace is just a glorious and a wonderful thing. The word peace here in the Greek has a, a broad meaning. It's probably about the same way we would you know, think of peace in the English. Uh, it, it, it could be, uh, you know, it put forth as quietness, kind of that practical peace in prosperity, in the sense of not having conflict, but moving forward in what's before you. And the picture of rest. And then it also means to set at one again. The picture of something that's broken, a broken relationship being set, you know what, in unity once again, being restored. And again, peace is such a wonderful thing. I think we oftentimes uh, and perhaps are guilty of most often appreciating, appreciating peace when peace is not there. And, and when there's a lack of peace, then you begin to say, boy, it'd be nice to have some peace. Uh, all summer long, we've had, uh, first of all, it was in our neighbor's backyard, and then it moved down a couple households, and then last night it moved down a couple more households 
we've had this, uh, I, I thought it was a bird, and now we figured out uh, this owl out here in, in this tree. And uh, this owl, uh, listen, this guy starts in from sundown till sun up, making racket up there. And it's not a hoo, hoo, oh, that's beautiful and soothing. This guy sounds like he's smoking a pack of cigarettes every single night. It is this, Arr! and I don't even know how he's breathing up there. Arr! Non-stop, except occasionally it's, Arr! Arr! and then he starts up again. Um, just non-stop. I mean, he, he drowns out all the air conditioners and swamp coolers in the neighborhood. My son, he lives in, lives in a room uh, in our backyard. There's no AC in there. And that's purposeful. We're trying to, you know, he's, he's entering into manhood there. And, but he has his windows open. And a few times, Dad, that bird's driving me crazy out there. I hear him all night long. The other night I go out there, it was like on Tuesday or third, Wednesday or something, Thursday. And I have this light that I shine on. That's how I've gotten him to move down. He flees the light. I got one of these like high candle lights. And the first night I'm showing him, he's like smoking his cigarette, looking at me like, I hate you. You know, he... He finally moved down. Actually, the next night he moved down a tree. And so the other night I went there and I'm shining my light. And it's the light, he's far, the next tree is too far for me to really annoy him. But I'm trying to, and I go, ah! And out of nowhere, like a distant neighbor, you know, down farther from us, I hear a woman's voice, shoot that bird! (laughs) Shoot him! So this guy's just terrorizing the whole neighborhood here. You know, everyone's saying, we want some peace. We want some quiet. A quiet moment, a quiet day. Maybe a quiet vacation. It's a soothing thing. It's a good thing. To actually be able to rest in those quiet moments and not worry, it's even, it's even better. You know, again, to walk in a prosperity and you're going ons, um, you know what, versus conflict, that's a glorious thing. Um, you know, in, in prospering in the Lord in that manner. But listen, the most wonderful peace and absolutely the most needed peace is that quiet rest and eternal prosperity that only can be found when we're set at one again and in right relationship with God the Father through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the text here. That may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. He's the Lord of peace. He's the one that offers real peace. He's the only place where real peace is found and again it is a wonderful thing we know that man was created with perfect peace with god things started out very again orderly and without conflict without you know there was an owl there but this guy you know they weren't smoking cigarettes in the garden you know there's this it was there was a unity there as god created man out of the dust of the earth breathed life into him he said it's not good that man's alone out of his side created you know what, his wife, absolutely a perf- perfect place of paradise, a, a, a perfect marriage, a perfect purpose in walking with God and worshiping God and tending to the garden. Again, relationally all the way around, uh, a unity and so forth. Uh, you look how far we've gotten from that, you know, that paradise there in the scripture. And you look around the world today and, you know, the Bible speaks of how things would be before the coming of the Lord. And we know we've been in the last days for a few thousand years after the ascension of the Lord, but the Bible speaks of perilous times in the last days. And really, 
you know, mankind kind of running its course and God having to intervene. I thought about it this week as I was just thinking about peace and that paradise and that unity between God and man there in the garden before sin had come in and tainted everything, before sin came in and brought disease and war and death and where we are today. Uh, I heard a, a, a thing on San Francisco the other day, and this is the case in a lot of cities in the world. All the problems that they're having, and I'm, I'm not pointing to anyone's specific sin, but it's really the result of man's sin and man's rebellion. They're in the city of San Francisco, which I remember visiting oftentimes as a kid, visiting, you know, growing up in the Bay Area. And, you know, San Francisco, like any community, has, you know, different issues and, and sins and so forth. But for the most part, you go there as a family and, you know, things were clean and orderly and, uh, you know, in a lot of beautiful areas. It's really a beautiful place in itself. But, you know, it, the, the place has been wrecked uh, from the fall of man, really. Uh, the city gives out 400,000 needles a month to drug users. And only 157,000 on average get returned into the bins where they're to be dropped off. So you got 200,000 plus needles a month ending up in places where, you know, it, people cohabit and walk and so forth. They say there's 30,000 cars broken in or reported as broken in a year. I didn't do the numbers, but that's a lot every single night. And listen, I, I know that lunch is coming and so forth, and I don't want to ruin anyone's appetite. But listen, the, 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 the city has so many issues. There's people defecating on the street all over the place to the point where the city has had to make an app that you can go on that shows where these messes are. I don't know who runs that app. I... I, I, I you know, that kind of boggles my mind. It's like, okay, I'm going to quit thinking about this. You know, I go down the rabbit hole that deep. But, you know, from paradise with the Lord to where we are today, such a lack of peace, you know. And it's easy for us to go, boy, why are they giving those needles away? Which, why are they giving those away? And, you know, to just approach it kind of from a conservative political angle. But at the same time, I think about all those needles being used and all these souls you know, and addicted to these drugs and so forth and how much the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save them and deliver them and set them free and how even the gospel of Jesus Christ has been so opposed and oppressed in places like that and many other places. It didn't start that way. It started with a perfect relationship with God and man. And again, man created in the image and likeness of God and walking with God and so forth. Man in that place of paradise created in that unity but listen also created with a free will with an ability to choose it's one of the things that sets us apart from the animals and people oh men are animals we're just another beast that's not true we're not we're created in the image and likeness of god almighty listen animals do things distinctively or instinctively they, they do things that they're wired to do I was talking about this the other day in one of our prayer meetings i don't know how we got in the subject but it was really it kind of sounds like gross subject matter. And listen, I didn't plan all this grossness in the message. It's just kind of how it came out. But we were marveling at, at just God's awesomeness and having certain animals that are scavengers that go clean up messes. And we were talking about dogs and how they're really scavengers. Yes, your four-legged furry friend, he's a scavenger that's doing who knows what at your house right now, you know. Uh, and, and how the Bible says you know, as, as a dog returns to a vom its vomit, so a man returns to his sin. The difference is, though, a dog does that instinctively. He's wired to do that. 
And really even in a dog doing that, and, and you know what, this might blow your mind in a way, he's doing that actually to the glory of God in the sense that someone's got to clean up that mess, especially out in nature. But when men do that, when mankind does that, that's a choice to say, I'm going to return to my sin. I'm going to walk in sin versus bend knee to God Almighty. And we know as God made man and put him in that garden and that place of peace, God gave man that free will and God gave man that one command that we're familiar with. All these trees in this garden are there for food and you can eat of any of them freely. But the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, surely you're going to die. And that word die, that word death there, it, it means separation. You're going to be separated from me. It was the Lord saying, listen, physical death's going to set in. It was a foreign concept to man. There was no death before the fall of man. But physical death's going to set in and you're going to be separated from relationship with me. And we're familiar with the account. We know how it unfolds. We know that the enemy of our soul came along, began to talk to Eve, began to question God Almighty and his word, the command that was given. And remember he said, you know, at the day you eat of that tree, you're not going to die. God knows the day you eat of it, you're going to be like him. And see, the enemy's been doing this for the last 6,000 years. He wants to villainize God. God's the bad guy. Listen, even in talking about those 400,000 needles a month and, you know, the suffering and all of that, there's so many people that say, oh, this is God's fault. If there's a God, there wouldn't be any of this going on. We wouldn't need an app like this if there was a God. We want to blame God. And yet these things fall on the shoulders of men. Again, God created man in a perfect relationship. But he gave him a choice. Yeah, how can he not have a real relationship? You know, I, I can't have a relationship with a robot. Gave him a free will. And we know what happened. Eve got tempted and then it brought forth the lust. And the next thing you knew, she was being led by her flesh versus taking those thoughts captive, saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. God said, if I eat of the tree, I'm going to die. And taking those thoughts that were putting themselves against the knowledge of God, she didn't punish them with the truth of God's word, but instead she gave in to them willfully. And then man came along and he ate of that tree willfully as well. And the minute that he did, everything changed. A curse came upon the earth. Man looked and saw that he was nude. He, he understood, I'm no longer under the covering of God. I need to try to cover myself. It's the worst picture of legalism in the Bible. My own law, I'm going to cover myself. separation from god set in man took on a sin nature romans 5 12 it says therefore just just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death death spread to all men because all sinned when man ate of that tree everything changed that's when death set in and it's tragic today to hear pastors propping up evolution saying well god used evolution when Evolution is pseudoscience. It is the biggest farce to ever come along. Listen, death started when man sinned. Otherwise, God's the author of death. And you're distorting the whole gospel. When man sinned, everything changed. Peace was taken away immediately. And it spread to all men because all have sinned. And in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. It's not just dying at the end of our lifetime here, but the Bible speaks of a second death. Revelation 20.14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And if men die in their sin, if they die in that rebellion, if their name's not found in that book of life, which again, the only way to be found in that book of life is through the work of Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. He himself is the way, the truth, and the life. They're going to experience that second death, which is going to be ongoing forever and ever and ever. We got to be reminded of that as Christians. Listen, this is a popular talk here this morning. There's a lot of people that would even come in here and hear a pastor talking about the second death and hell. They say, oh, that's cringeworthy. We want love. Love, love, love. Give us the love gospel. Well, listen, true love is found in proclaiming the truth of God's word. Jesus talked about hell and the second death way more than he talked about heaven. Not because he was wanting people to go there, because he did not want them to go there. He was trying to say, my kingdom is not of this earth. I'm going to fulfill the scriptures and go to the cross and die and be resurrected. Again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to go to the Father? You want to be restored with the Father? You want to have peace in the Father? You need to come to me. There will be salvation by no other means. We need to have this mess cleaned up of sin. And you can see the evidences in man all over the place that he understands he doesn't have peace as everyone runs around trying to find it in one way or another. And oftentimes people even obtain that which they set their eyes on and at times even foolishly fool themselves, finally I'm at peace, finally I'm at rest. Because again, we were created to have that peace. And now that's not there outside of the Lord. We're enemies of God outside of Christ. We're in enmity with him, the Bible says. I think of the passage there in Luke 12, 16, and so much truth in this passage as Jesus taught this parable about this individual. It says that Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And listen, that was a testimony to that man of the miracle and power of God. He's saying, that's my ground, that's my seed, that's my crop. But what he didn't get is God gave him the ground, the seed, and God's the one that brought that miracle forth to bring forth that crop. Isn't it amazing out of a seed what you get? That's a miracle right there. Think about that this this afternoon as you eat your corn on the cob. That's a miracle there. But he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I'll store my crops. And listen, the crops and the barns and even a plan to store them in itself, nothing wrong with that. Do your work under the glory of God. The Bible talks about good stewardship and learning from the ants to store it for the winter, right? But what he says next is problematic in verse 19. And I'll say to my soul, be careful what you say to your soul. You want the Lord speaking to your soul. You want God's word ministering to your soul. You want to make sure the things you're saying to your soul are in line with the word of God. The preacher you're going to hear more than anyone else in your life is not going to be Pastor Steve or anyone on the radio or anyone else. It is yourself. What are you preaching to yourself? I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, I found my peace. I didn't have it, but the ground yielded plenty. 
I have the resources to tear down these barns and build new barns. And instead of giving glory to God in that, I'm going to say, soul, you've done it. You've achieved it. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Notice verse 20. But God said to him, fool. Not a good thing to hear from God concerning your person. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He said, you're a fool. You've tried to find peace, security, and safety with things that are going to be taken away that night that your soul is required of you. And there's so many people running around just, you know what, trying to find peace in this stuff. Versus saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've provided for me. But you are my peace. You are my God. Though I buy, I won't live as if I possess. Because it'll all be gone tomorrow, today, for that matter. I'll trust in you. You see others running around and they're trying to find that peace by their own efforts, by their own labor, by their own works. There's so many within what we would call Christianum that don't have their faith fully in the Lord Jesus Christ, but instead it's a little in the Lord and a little in themselves. It's amazing to me that people still walk in this 2,000 years after the book of Galatians was written. This says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified, but men love to deify themselves. They love to put their faith in what they're going to do. And you could do a whole lifetime of good works, but you're still not going to be permitted to enter into the rest of God if you bring your sin with you. Because our sin is as filthy rags. And hear this, God's not bringing rebellion and a bunch of men that think they're little gods there into glory. Listen, heaven will not look like the streets of San Francisco. Those effects won't be there. For that matter, it won't look like the streets of a Tascadero. But there's individuals, they're putting their hope in themselves. They don't have a cloak of humility. They boast in themselves. They want to bring glory to themselves. And sadly, many even put faith in themselves, what they do. Familiar with the text, but we'll read it. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus Christ said, so this is on the full authority of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And it's implied here, them saying, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? Again, we've done all this stuff. We did all, yeah, we did in your name, but we did it. We cast out demons. We prophesied. We performed miracles. Verse 23, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And you say, lawlessness? They were casting out demons, prophesying, and performing miracles. What's lawless about that? In fact, we need more of that in the church today. Revival, you know, and nothing about salvation, but this stuff. The lawlessness was them trusting in themselves we've done all this stuff to get peace with god and you can work till the cows come home but if you don't repent and get on your face and let jesus christ atone for your sins you will experience the second death now are we saved unto good works absolutely but do good works save us absolutely not your faith needs to be anchored in jesus christ 100 percent and then you see in the world, you know what, this global group. And this isn't a new thing. We see this uprising in the world of, 
of, of, a, of, a, of a call for world unity and a world peace. And eventually, listen, we're going to have that when the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns. And it's going to be perfect. But when men do that, it's a mess. And it's nothing new. Listen, in, Gal- in Genesis, in chapter 11, the flood had come. And afterwards, God told man, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, I want you to go out and be dependent on me. Not to all gather together to be dependent on one another. You go out and fill the earth. But man, with his rebellious nature, chose not to do that. It says in that day, they all had one language. They all gathered at a place called the Plain of Shinar, which was a very fertile, fertile place, a wonderful climate. And in Genesis eleven three, it says, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. They had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Notice here, lest we be scattered over the face of the earth, lest our peace be taken from us. We know the guy that headed this up was named Nimrod. You ever that say that saying, don't be a Nimrod? Nimrod. He's a type of antichrist in the Bible. It says he was a mighty hunter in that day. It implies he hunted after men's souls, but he was also a hunter of beasts. Well, after the flood, things changed and beasts were a lot more aggressive. And he said to the people, listen, I'll give you peace. I'll give you safety. I'll defeat those beasts. You come in here. We'll farm by day outside of the walls. At night, we'll come within the walls. Peace and safety. And then we're going to build a tower to heaven. And we're going to go up there and we're going to defeat God. And we're never going to allow him to flood this earth again. And they all said, hip, hip, hooray, peace and safety. What a wonderful idea. And they gathered together there. It says the Lord came down from heaven. And you can read this in Genesis 11 to see what they were doing. He says, in fact, indeed, the people are all one. They have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower for ourselves. Let's find peace amongst ourselves. And then he says something that's really incredible. He says, now... Nothing they purpose to do will be withheld from them. That's a frightening thought. So what's he do? He scatters them. He confuses their languages. He spreads them out over the face of the earth. We know that we are on the cusp of a second Babel. That was the Tower of Babel. Where there's so much turmoil in the world. There is so much infighting amongst groups and people. Indeed, that prophecy that the Lord gave concerning the last days, you know, it is coming to pass where he says there will be wars and rumors of wars nation will fight against nation kingdom against kingdom that implies not just nations but groups within those nations fighting amongst themselves does that sound familiar at all you hear anyone say lately man i think we might be on the cusp of a civil war as a country there's some truth in that there are such deep divides with individuals But within that, what you see is a growing voice within all these different camps saying, we need peace. We need this. We need someone to unify us. We need someone to come in here and, you know what, get us all on the same page again. Now, there's one who will do that right now. It's the Lord of peace himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. But they don't want him 
And before you go, oh yeah, those people on the left, yeah, they don't want him. Listen, I know a lot of people on the right that are God-haters. They're like that guy that builds the barns. I deal with a lot of them in our own community. You know, businessmen and the Republican this or that. And you start talking about Jesus Christ, they want nothing to do with it. I want to build my barns. You know, yeah, I got some, you know what? Maybe some things that look a little more biblical. A lot of times, though, when the rubber hits the road, they don't, they don't actually practice those things. We need peace. It only comes from him. But the Bible says here, 1 Thessalonians 5, again, one of the themes of this text, this letter, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And this is a reference to the Lord coming for his church. He says, for when they say, again, they, they say peace and safety, because an individual is going to come that's going to make Nimrod look like a Nimrod. And the whole world's going to marvel, those whose names are not written in the book of life, and they're going to say, who's like the beast and who can make war with them? And they're going to say, we got our answer. This individual is going to come on the scene at some point in the near future, and he's going to offer this peace plan, and they're going to say, finally, peace and safety. It says, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Any women here ever give birth? Listen, when those labor pains come, was they're like, hey, we're going to solve them. You know what? This isn't on my calendar. I'm going to take care of this next week. They got faster and faster and faster, right? He says, but you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so this day should not overtake you as a thief. But you see people running all over the place wanting this peace because man started with peace, and his sin took away that peace. But listen, it's only found in one place, real peace. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. He's the only one that gives real peace. And I love it because he's the Lord of peace himself. He has made the way of peace himself. Not through an appointed employee or subordinate, an angel, a prophet, priest, or king. He himself. Let me ask you, do kings of nations wash the feet of paupers? Do presidents change the bandages of wounded soldiers with infections do billionaires scrub their own toilets i think we know the answer to those questions did god himself go to the cross to die for filthy sinners he did he's the lord of peace himself he himself went to the cross the father sent the son and he willingly went to make that means of salvation, to make peace again, not through the blood of bulls and goats or sending someone else or our works that can't take away our sin. He did it himself. He bore the penalty of our sin himself. I love Colossians 1, 19 through 23. It says, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his light. Because again, if, if, we're, if we're not above reproach, if we have blame, we're not entering in. But he, through his shed blood, made that way for us to be presented as holy, blameless, above reproach. 
He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's made the way of peace. He atoned for our sins. He paid the penalty of our sins. He rose from the grave and defeated sin, death, and Satan. That again, when we put our faith in him, what happens? We go from being under the law that condemns us to being under the grace of Jesus Christ. To be presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. And again, we enter that by grace through faith. There's a glorious picture of that in Luke chapter 7. We know that Jesus is in the house of Simon Peter, and there's a bunch of naysayers and people with agendas there. And as the Lord's talking to these guys, he says in Luke 7, 44, it says, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with the tear, her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did, not, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he, and he said to her, uh, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with them began to say to themselves, who is this, who, is this uh, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, notice here, your faith has saved you, go in peace. She entered that peace through faith in Jesus Christ. She recognized, I'm a sinner. I got a sense, you know, it's a picture of one of these on the streets of San Francisco, even right now, or for that matter, and listen, you know, you need to know it's true, on the streets of Atascadero. Doing the same thing, but here, it's all, it's all over our community. Heroin usage, um, prostitution, it's, it, all those, it's all, it's all, it's all over, around here. I'll just open your eyes, you'll see it. But she recognized her sin and went to the Lord weeping. I'm a sinner with no peace at all. No peace spiritually, no peace practically. But she came to the Lord of peace himself and he said, you are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Faith in what? Faith in him. Go in peace. Is that not good? Go in peace. From there, listen, he gives us his Holy Spirit which bear, bears witnesses, witness to the fact he doesn't just want to give us peace in heaven, he wants to give us daily peace. After his resurrection, uh, one of the times he appeared to the disciples, in John 20, verse 21, it says that Jesus said to him, peace to you, and the fa- the fa- as the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. He hasn't left us as orphans. We've received the Holy Spirit to be comforted, to be ministered to, to teach us as we open the word of God. And so in Christ, we have eternal peace. In Christ, we're at peace with God. He's given us the Holy Spirit to minister peace to our souls day in and day out. Notice Paul's prayer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. He's pinning this as the Holy Spirit is moving him in the name of Jesus Christ. So it's God's desire to give us peace always in every way, yet if that's the case, why are there times when we do not have practical peace in our lives? Where we know in Christ, yes, I have 
peace with God and that my sins are washed, but in these situations in my day-to-day living, I don't have peace. Is that anyone in the room? Does that describe maybe a season you've gone through in the past or a season that you're in now? Why is that the case? The reason is, is because we forfeit the peace available to us through sin, disobedience, and disbelief. Romans 8, 5 through 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, notice here, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are the flesh cannot please God. The mindset on sin, the mindset on the life set on pursuits void of the living God is going to produce sin and it's going to take away peace available to us from the Lord. Scripture that I've read many times and just, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm like, how can I read that so many times? And all of a sudden, there's like a revelation here I've never seen. Well, it's, it's because it's the Bible. <laughs> but Galatians 6, 7, it says, do not be deceived. We're easily deceived in this. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows of the Spirit, of the Spirit will reap everlasting life. Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit of God. Again, we got to know in Christ we have freedom. All things are lawful, amen? They are. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. All things are lawful. I'm under the blood of Jesus. But it says not all things are profitable and not all things edify. And there are times when we are full of self-deception, when we are sowing things into our life that do not glorify God. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. And maybe you already figured this out or got it when I read it one of, a hundred times from the pulpit up here but when we're sowing those things in our life that we have freedom to but are of the flesh even in our good intentions we're sitting there mocking god do not be deceived god is not mocked whatever man sows he's going to reap again this isn't a call to legalism this isn't a call to some rules we're going to set up But we know when we're sowing things into our life that are void of God and us fleshing out, right? And when we're doing that, we're mocking the living God. He says, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. You need to know as you sow that into your life, you sow that into your heart, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get a crop. It's not going to be the fruits of the Spirit. It's going to be the work of the flesh. And it's going to take away your peace. It is. It's a principle. It's a biblical truth in the word of God. There's not a loophole in this. You ever find like when you just say, man, I I just need to get away with the Lord. And you sit, you pray, you get in the word of God. And in in a real fellowship with the Lord. And you lay those burdens down. You meditate on scripture. Is there not a peace that passes understanding found in that? And on the other hand, in your freedom... Maybe you have a day, two, a week where you're just fleshing out, just sowing the things of the flesh into your life, not taking your thoughts captive, not saying, well, you know, I'm watching this, there's some entertainment, but boy, you know, that there, 
that's not good. But you're just sitting there sewing it in, sewing it in, sewing it in. And you're like, man, where's my peace at? God himself wants to give us peace always and in every way. Yet there's too many times when we forfeit it. Again, Jesus said in Luke 12, 29 through 31, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Again, an anxiety, no peace. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, but your Father knows you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and these things shall be added to you. When we seek Him first. And you say, but, but you know what, I'm saved. Listen, I can go and I'm, I'm gonna use my freedom for this, that, and the other. You can, but listen, don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. He's not going to allow us to mock him and he's not going to give us peace in those things because he loves us too much. Some of you in this room have raised children. Others are raising children. When your child was in rebellion and that rebellion usually came from an influence or whatever. They have a sin nature, but they're in rebellion. When they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing did you go oh you know what i'm let me get you some some cookies and some milk so i can soothe you in that no out of love for the little booger you went and you said i'm gonna take some peace out of this room you're gonna get disciplined and did you not do that because you love them because you said if they continue at this angle who knows where they are going to end up this needs to be corrected i'm not going to bless your rebellion i am going to disrupt your 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 little life here and i'm going to take the peace so that you can get some correction to walk in the better things of god how much more our heavenly father listen that's a picture of his grace to us he's not going to empower rebellion and he's not going to bring peace when we're mocking him sowing the things of flesh into our life it's not going to be found there you might have it for a little bit but listen it's like barn boy it's a false peace and eventually it will implode. Quickly here he says, the Lord be with you all. Again, it's a prayer. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. And it goes back to the fact there's no partiality with God. He desires to be with us all, to fellowship with us all. He cries out, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And don't you rejoice that there's enough of him to go around? <laughs> I have peace for all of you. He doesn't need someone to help him out with that. Oh, I don't have time, so oh, let's send out one of the saints. This is God Almighty we're talking about. He wants to fellowship with you, dine with you, minister to you. Psalm, 37, excuse me, Psalm 139, 17 and 18. The psalmist writes, How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. How great the sum of them. If I should count them, they would... Be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God's thoughts towards you outnumber the sand. They say there's 5,000 granules of sand in one handful. His thoughts towards you outnumber the sand of the world. Enter into that fellowship. Draw near to the Lord. Take shelter under the shadow of his wing. He welcomes you to. He invites you to. He wants you to. Verse 17. The salutation of Paul with my own hand. 
which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. This was very important because we've talked about the fact that there were people spreading false doctrine, not in the name of Jesus, not in the name of the Holy Spirit, not according to Scripture that God was pinning through the apostles, but it was according to their own heart and mind. It says it started with a spirit, a word, a letter. In fact, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or letter as if from us. And it seems that someone even put Paul's name on it. Remember the lie was the rapture had come, the resurrection had come, you've been left behind. And they're like, ah, oh, panic mode. That'd be pretty horrible if you'd, you know, had been left behind from that as a believer. And so Paul is saying, listen, I'm signing this with my own hand. And it wasn't Paul saying, I'm Paul you know what, hey, everyone, I'm an apostle, bow down and kiss my ring. It was, I'm appointed by God Almighty. God's appointed me to this ministry. There's evidence that I'm appointed to this ministry and my doctrine and the fruit of my life. He told those in Corinth that you're my letter of commendation. The fact there's a church here, the fact the Spirit of God has worked here, is a, is that, that's my letter of commendation, my letter of recommendation. I don't need a written one. It's seen in the fruit of God working through my life and the call that he has placed upon me. And this is important because, listen, there's no partiality with God. But in the kingdom of God, there are different callings. There's different responsibilities. Ephesians 4.11, it says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saint, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And those individuals are going to give a more stricter account for their lives. The Bible says, let not many become teachers. They will incur a stricter judgment. Now, we all teach one another in a way. But in this picture of, again, a pastor of a church, uh, 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 you know what? a teacher within the church, an evangelist, someone prophesying, and so forth. There is a call of God on individuals to walk in that. Now, again, there's a lot of people that take up that mantle that don't have that call, and it's seen by their doctrine, it's seen by the fruit of their life, it's seen by the carnage that they leave behind them. You always find it. But Paul was called to be an apostle. Yet there were some in Thessalonica that wanted an equal voice. They wanted an equal voice. And again, let's all be proclaiming God's word as our standard. We're living in a world today of social media where, listen, there are people that, that, that should have no voice that have a voice. And you're like, oh, that's anti-American. No, you know what? They're deceiving people. They're leading people astray. And there's a mindset today that says, you know, uh, Apostle Paul, who cares? Tim down the street who lives in his mom's basement thinks something different. Good knowing Tim got up and left right now, so. <laughs> so I would just say this. Listen, let's stand on the authority of God's word, amen. But I would caution you Listen, walk in the call of God that he's placed upon you because I see a lot of people setting themselves up as prophets and trying to walk in the call of a pastor that aren't called to that. And, and if you do that, I'll just warn you, if you say, I want that equal influence, hear this, you're gonna have an equal accountability and that's a frightening thing. I wanna walk in what God's called me to walk and I wanna do it in fear and trembling. 
And Paul was just basically saying, listen, this is from my hand. That other stuff, it's not. And it's not authoritative. It's not coming from the God Almighty. This is coming from me, and we see in Scripture, as the Holy Spirit moved upon men. Lastly here, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Listen, we talked about grace over and over and over again in these epistles. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is that saving agent from God. We are saved by, by, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not of works. We've also seen how it's God's divine influence on our life to help us walk in what God's called us to walk in. And the Bible speaks of growing in grace. We spent a whole study on talking about those sayings that grow us in grace. It's in the archive somewhere. But listen, grace is not so much a thing, but really it's more so Jesus himself. It's not like here's Jesus and there's grace. Grace is the work of Jesus Christ. The work of him on the cross. Listen, if he doesn't go to the cross, there is no grace. If he doesn't send his Holy Spirit in our life, there is no grace. When we think of grace, we should think of Jesus himself and the work of our Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, grace in itself, it's good, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is grand. And then again, be with you all. There's no partiality. He offers grace to all who will call on his name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he wants to offer that growth in grace for all of us as well. Listen, you will grow as much as you allow the Lord to grow you. And then finally, he caps it all off with an amen, which means so be it, or this is the supreme and final authority. And notice it comes after the written word. We didn't have passed down to us, oh, Paul gave this poem, and at the end he said, amen. It's with the written word of God. And this is important because I find more and more today when we talk about the word of God, there's a lot of people that they don't go back to the written word. They say, well, the word of God is the thought I had when I'm declaring God told me something. And unfortunately, they're getting it from a lot of religious institutes and institutions that hold God's word in a low view. Jesus fulfilled God's written word. Jesus said, I'm going to do as was written of me. I'm going to go and be betrayed and lay down my life, and I'm going to resurrect from the dead as written. His written word is the final authority. It is the yes, and it is the amen, and we need to stand in it. Let's stand right now. Oh, Lord God, we praise you tonight. Oh, this morning, (laughs) tonight somewhere. We praise you this morning, God. We just thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your peace. I thank you, Lord, that you are our peace yourself. What an amazing thing. That's real, legit peace. Oh, Lord, let us be found resting in it for our salvation. And, Lord, let us be found walking in it in our day-to-day lives. Let us consider these truths this morning that have, God, been put before us through the word of God. We thank you for your grace as well, oh Lord. Let us abound in that grace that you have afforded to us. This morning, if you don't know the Lord, today's a day of salvation. And again, there's no partiality with them. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord would be saved. And if you're not born again, today's a day of salvation. It is time to humble your heart. Turn from being your own Lord. 
doing what's right in your own eyes, saying, I call the shots to say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me, wash me, be the Lord of my life. I believe you died, rose from the grave. Take my life and save me, and he will meet you where you're at. Listen, we're going to close with one last song. The altar is going to be open up here. I want to invite any altar workers to come up. And this morning, if you want to get prayer afterwards, come and get that. If you gave your life to the Lord this morning, there's folks up here that would love to pray with you concerning that. We have Bibles and new believers packets. We want to uh, put God's word in your hands. So let's, uh, let's give them praise. Let's lift our voices to them. Magnificent Holy Father I stand in awe of all I see Of all the things you've created But still you choose to think of me Who am I that you should suffer your very life to set me free the only thing that I can give you is this life you gave to me this is my offering dear Lord this is my offering to you I will give you my life, for it's all I have to give, because you gave your life for me. I stand before you at this altar, so many have given you more. I may not have much I can offer But what I have is truly yours This is my offering Dear Lord This is my offering To you, God I will give you is my offering dear Lord this is my offering to you God I will give you my life for it's all I have to give because you gave your life for me because you gave your life because you gave your life
Amen. That's good news. Well, God bless you. You have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage someone before you leave today.